0: Good morning, everybody. Yeah, we're starting a new series today called Missional. And uh, this is going to be a great series. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I've been looking forward to this series for a little while. All right? been looking forward to, to Missional. Um, this, this series is going to mess with us a lot. All right, y'all think it's good to be messed with, as people. I think that's the only way that we grow. I think it's the only way that we progress in life. Is whenever our our knowledge gets, uh, you know, confronted, and what the way that we think gets confronted. I think that's the only way that we really change and, and grow in any area. Think about it in your job if you haven't learned anything in the last ten years. Uh, some of you might be like, actually, I haven't. Uh, you know, <laughs> then uh, it's good to grow and learn and progress. And 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 it's the same thing with our relationship with God. That we should be growing and progressing. Uh, And so missional is going to confront a lot of things in, I believe, this church and us as individuals. It's going to challenge us about what it means to be a missional Christian. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about missional church, all right? And then we're going to talk about missional Christ, which is who Jesus uh, is and uh, who he was whenever he walked on earth, uh, how he encountered people and situations. And then the last week is Easter. That's right, Easter is this month, just in case you didn't realize. All right, so we're going to talk about missional resurrection and all the things that Jesus accomplished uh, through his death, burial, res- and resurrection, all right? So it's going to be really good. The thing I have to ask you to do is to um, kind of open up a little bit, open up your heart, open up your mind, and relax, and uh, let's let the word of God mess with us and convict us and, and just change us because it's good, okay? Okay. So we're talking about missional Christian today. And uh, so I want to set up some things before I really get into the meat of the message. And uh, one of the things is there's been some surveys that have come out in the last few years that talk about how the church, the American church, is in decline. Right, the American church is, is man, it's just bad. Things are horrible. The numbers are going down. Faith's not being transferred from one generation to the next. Young people are just leaving the church by in you know, the droves, and, and it's just bad, that bad, bad. Our nation's just going to hell in a handbasket. You know what I'm saying? This is what's going down. This is bad news. And uh, And actually, I want to kind of Uh, tweak that perspective a little bit because sometimes whenever you just look at numbers it skews things but whenever you actually look at the facts it changes what those numbers mean and so there was a statement that came out from a guy named Ed Stetzer he said this Christianity isn't collapsing it's being clarified churches aren't emptying rather those who were Christian in name only are now categorically identifying their lack of Christian conviction and engagement Oh, <laughs> right? Huh, light bulb goes up. It's not that Christianity is in decline. Basically, the fakers ain't faking no more, all right? The, the, the people that were, were fake are, are, are kind of like, ah, well, I'm out. See, we live in America. We live in the South, especially. And everybody's a Christian. Everybody had some place in their life has accepted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, right? A lot of people. And now they are... In the category, they identify as Christians with no fruit, with no sort of lifestyle that actually, you know, says that, other than just what comes out their mouth at that moment when they're asked if they're a Christian or not. And you know, then we got our polls for elections and things, and every, evangelicals and all this kind of stuff. And it's it's such a category that, that it's very vague. You know, well, we want to kind of put some parameters around that, and let's see what this really means. So, you know, basically, the fakers ain't faking no more. Here's another uh, another statement by. By uh, Kyle Eidelman, the biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. That puts it really well. I I like to refer to this as vending machine Christianity. I'm going to put my prayers and things in, and then I'm going to get really, really good things out of it. And it's just always that way. And if it's not happening like that, then something's wrong with God. He's not answering my needs. He's not giving me what I want. And therefore, it's not real. And so I'm out. Right? It's like that, that, that entitlement thing is in the church. And there was a church in the Bible that, uh, in Revelations, it was the church of Laodicea. And uh, we all know them as the lukewarm church. All right? And God said, you're not hot or cold. I don't really know where you stand, but, but I don't like it. And he said, I'm going to spit you out my mouth. See, God has this thing of, I want you to be one way or the other. But this lukewarm, hypocritical area, it confuses everybody, right? How many of you, you've known some hypocrites? Maybe it's been you at times. And you almost like confuse yourself. Like, wait, which side am I actually on? I don't, it depends on my environment, you know? And, and there was a church that was like that. And, and God didn't appreciate it. God didn't like it. And so for centuries, people have come to church, Come to church. And uh, whereas the call of Christ is to be the church. And that's a different way of thinking, a different way of approaching why we even do what we're doing here. The, the church is really the called out ones. It's people who have made a decision to follow Christ, and they're called out of darkness into light. And so we gather together, and it's a great experience. It's a great camaraderie. Uh, but, but nowadays, it's like I'm going to church, and now I'm out of church, and that has no effect on any other part of my life. Because really, Jesus isn't completely woven into it. It's more of just a, an activity, all right? I'm going to eat some crawfish after this. That's an activity, all right? So um, I don't really eat crawfish that much, but um, I don't like peeling it. It's disgusting. But I'm going to eat crawfish. That's something I'm going to do, all right? But the church, we are the church. So we come to a building called the church, but then we go and we represent the church as we go, all right? Y- y'all getting me- tracking with me? Okay. All right. So in this series, we're going to clarify our mission, which is the mission of Christ. So what is the mission? What is the mission of Christ? Well, Jesus' mission was to seek and save the lost and to destroy the works of the enemy. That's what the Bible says. That's why he came. He came to do these great things. And his last words to us on earth are called the Great Commission. It's basically the Great Command. That's what he did. Right before he left, he, he said, in Matthew 28, he said this, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus, his whole mission, his whole point was the redemption of mankind. When the Bible in Genesis and Adam and Eve, whenever they fall, from that point on, the Bible is a story of redemption, and it's setting up Jesus' coming and what he did on the cross. So let's look through the the, the lens of the gospel with that. It's Jesus coming to save us, to, to make a way for us to receive salvation, all right? Redemption of mankind. Well, just like Jesus has a mission, the enemy has a mission. The devil, Satan, he has a mission, and his mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. The Bible says he walks around like a roaring lion, a lying lion, okay? So what he does, his methods are a little bit different than Jesus's. obviously. His include things like self-deception, which I think is a huge problem in our society. Thinking that we're one thing when we're really we're another, all right. Thinking that we're in one camp when really we're in another camp. But we're deceived to think that we are in a place that we're not. And and it gets really confusing. And so uh, that's where like religion comes into play, where we, we do these routines and, and, and religious rote and we follow rules. And it somehow appeases that part of us to where we feel like we're OK whenever we, we might not be. We might be caught in something that's not actually this thing called missional Christianity. And so uh, how many of you know that you're in a a war right now, a spiritual war? Yeah, y'all recognize that? I think that's another aspect of this thing of self-deception that we can get caught in, not realizing that we are in a battle, that we are in a spiritual battle. And uh, a lot of times because we can't see it, it feels like it's not actually there. It's like imaginary. It's like, I'm just having a bad week. I'm having a bad month, I've been having a bad decade, you know, it's like, at what point do you think that maybe it's not just something going on, but maybe it's a spiritual war that you're in, and you might be getting beat up and not even know about it, right, because it's just, oh, well, just things are happening. I believe that we are in a war, all right? Jesus has his mission, the devil has his, here we are caught in between, and 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 we got some choices to make, some things to do, all right? So there's two kingdoms. We're still setting up where we're, where we're headed in this series. There's two kingdoms. We are born into the kingdom of this world or the system of this world, how this world operates. We're born into this kingdom and uh, and then we are spiritually born again into the kingdom of God if we choose to do so, all right? So you don't have to teach me how to lie. I know how to lie just it's just the way it is, all right? It's natural. And so sinning and living that type of lifestyle is natural. You don't have to try. It just, it's just who you are because we're born into that system, that way of thinking. And, uh, but to be spiritually born again is a whole other experience. It's a whole other level of life. And it's where things begin to change in us because the spirit inside of us is changing. And the kingdom of this world, if I could sum it up into two things, would be it's consumeristic and it's selfish, The kingdom of this world is consumeristic and selfish, whereas the kingdom of God is missional and selfless. Total opposites, completely just different. Two different veins consumeristic and selfish. It's all inward, it's about me, my, how it affects me. But missional and selfless is where the kingdom of God is at, and it's all focused outward on other people, on the future, on eternity. Consumerism distracts us from the aim, the ambition, or the calling, which this is what we're talking about in this series, being missional, having a mission, it's, a, it's an aim, ambition, something that gets you up in the morning to do, a calling deep on the inside of you. And consumerism distracts us from that, that way of thinking, that way of living, and entraps us in something else. And most of the time, it is about us, me, right, consuming, selfishness. Really, you can, you can... You can look at all sin from the lens of selfishness. That really all sin comes out of that vein, out of that area, which is I'm looking out for number one, how it affects me, what makes me feel good, right? And that's where all sin can really come from. And if we're not careful, this kingdom of the world, the consumeristic spirit that is all around us can get in us as Christians, and then it can begin to affect our faith and the way that we operate as Christians, this consumeristic flow. This, what about me? There's another word I want to use. It's a Bible word called carnality, carnal worldliness, just the greasiness of the world. All right, and the world, and the world system has a very cunning way of needling its way into the church through us as people. It, it, the world doesn't like necessarily come in through the pastor, right? Oh that that church is getting worldly that pastor no the the church it comes in through all of us the world the the, the worldly system the way that it operates comes in in that vein and begins to affect see if i have a, if i live a selfish lifestyle Outside of these four walls, if we just put it that way for right now, if I live in a selfish thinking in a, uh, thinking pattern and, and, and I approach my job and my family and my life, everything through a selfish lens, I am going to begin to do the same thing with my faith. I'm going to live a consumeristic lifestyle in my faith in God. And that's where that vending machine starts coming into play, where it starts becoming what am I getting out of it? And once that shift takes place in the heart of a Christian and it's not caught, it will continue to progress further and further until faith begins to wane. Because, look, cordality is not the way that Jesus wants us to live. It's not what he's called us to. It's against him. All right? Consumerism selfishness. It, it's against the heart of God. It's, it's not from him. So therefore, we're operating in a spirit that's not from Jesus, all right? So this thing is, is, is a very big deal, this contrast. And so I want to give you guys a couple of um, examples of what a, what a missional Christian might look like versus a consumeristic or a carnal Christian. Uh, missional Christians forgive. They're very forgiving. And consumeristic Christians are very revengeful. I'm basically, I'm going to pay you back for what you did to me in some way, shape, or form. I'm going to tip the scale to make you look bad, or I'm going to get you, all right? Revenge. Missional Christians are generous. Consumeristic Christians are greedy. Missional Christians are serving. They have a servant's heart. And consumeristic Christians are more about consuming, more about that selfish inward approach. Missional Christians are compassionate. Consumeristic Christians are judging. Now, can I say something real quick about judging? Because I want to give you guys an example of how uh, the worldly system can kind of come in through a word and begin to mess with us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we say so much, don't judge me. Oh, he's, a, he's judging. Y'all stop judging. Judging, judging, judging. Y'all know, y'all know what I'm saying. We hear all the time. It's all over Facebook. It's everywhere. It's like judging, judging, judging. Judge not lest ye be judged. You know, I'm talking like setting the bar. Like, don't look at me. Don't get that log out of your own eye. You know what I'm saying? And there is a, an absolute level of truth to that. But uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ, let's talk about the church real quick. It is actually a very good thing to judge one another. And I'm saying this out of the positive sense right now. All right, take all the negativity and all the things that have happened to you. Take that out for a moment. To judge one another according to the word of God, because I love you, it's totally different than judging a non-believer that has nothing to do with the word of God and doesn't even try to live according to that standard. Their problem is they don't know Jesus. That's the first problem. I don't need to talk about all the sins and all the stuff you're doing. You just don't know Jesus. You haven't had this moment with him. So everything else you do, I'm not going to judge it because why would I expect any different? But... Once we come in and we're in a church together, and and I'm talking in the confines of the church as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, if you're about to walk off a cliff, wouldn't it be nice if somebody would tell you, hey, you're about to walk off a cliff, right? Of course. But what happens is people that are in the church, Christians, begin to fall into this consumeristic lifestyle and they begin to maybe fall into sin. And whenever brothers and sisters in Christ come to them to try to confront that in a very loving way, they get the hand, and they say, don't judge me. Get away from me. You know what I'm saying? And that's not what God has called us to. That's not the type of church that I want to be a part of. Man, look, if I'm messing up, I would love for one of my friends to come to me and tell me, hey, man, I just want to be honest with you. That was kind of weird. That was off. I don't know where that came from, but, but man, that was, that was bad. Yeah, what's going on with you? That's what we, that's what we do to our kids, right? Because we love them, it should be the same thing. And if it's done out of love, uh, it's, it's the proper vein. Now, if somebody's trying to expose somebody to embarrass them, that's not the heart of Jesus. All right? But if it's fueled in compassion, judging is actually a very good thing. Okay? If, if what, how we are living is not according to the word of God, then we should be judging one another out of love and compassion. Does that make sense? But you see how the world system, judge, can get into the church. And all of a sudden, it's nobody can say anything to anybody. It's why pastors have no authority nowadays in their church because people, they're just a man, don't judge me. Well, I, let me ask you this, if, who, who can judge you? Who can speak into your life and judge you? If nobody can, then you're insulated and you're isolated. It's only a matter of time before, guess what, the old ticker leads you in another direction. All right, just an example. Back to the list, back to the contrast list. Missional Christians are humble, and they have a a spirit of humility. Consumers are are prideful. Missionals, Christians are focused. Consumeristic Christians are distracted. The call of God's on their life. Missional people are focused. They understand that. There's a gravity to their life. Consumeristic people are all over the map, unstable. Missional people are giving people, and consumeristic people are obviously receiving, really good at receiving. Not so good at giving. <laughs> That's just some of the contrast. And so after after setting this up and kind of showing the difference between missional and consumeristic, I want to kind of go a little bit deeper into this, and I want to show you guys how we can become missional. All right, and this is going to hit everybody in this room at some point. There's steps to becoming a missional Christian, not just a Christian that hides, but a mission that that that. Goes and and we'll see in a second. Goes and dies, because that's what we're called to do. So let's start stepping into this thing. It's a progression. The first step into be, in becoming missional is come and see. It starts with this moment. Come and see. It's an invitation. See in the in the Bible, most of you will know that that whenever Jesus went to some of his future disciples, he would have this moment where he would invite them. He'd have to say, hey, come and follow me. And if you know the stories, you know that some of the guys, like they were fishing and they had their nets in their hands and they're in the family business, they're doing their thing. And Jesus walks up and says, come and follow me. And they just drop what they're doing and they walk away. That's weird. I'm just going to be, be honest with you. That's strange. That's like somebody selling cars on a car lot and this random dude walking up and say, hey, man. You want you want to come with you want to come follow me? And the guy, goes, yeah, that sounds great." Hey guys, I'm out. I'm going to follow this random dude. You know, that that's weird. It doesn't match up with our understanding, and that's why a lot of people just skip over that and keep going. I, don't know, I guess I guess Jesus was just a really funny guy, and that's why people followed him, you know. Well, actually, if you know the culture, uh, the Jewish culture Jesus was referred to in the Bible as a teacher, as a rabbi, and uh, there was a lot of different definitions of what that meant, but people had respect for him. He was a great teacher. He was a great man, and people saw this authority about him, and the thing about it is, is if a rabbi or a teacher came to you and invited you to come and follow him, it was a massive deal. It was like the, the rabbi coming to you and saying, I believe in you, and I think that you can do what I'm doing. So come and follow me. And the thing was, in that culture, oh, you'd stop whatever you're doing. Because what that guy just invited you to, what that teacher just invited to you is so much better than where you're at. And so you see this moment, come and follow me, come and see, is this invitation to come. And it's not supposed to be this fickle little, well, hey, come try Jesus, you know? It's not supposed to be approached with this fickle mindset of, nah, take it or leave it. This is Jesus offering everything he has to these guys, his life to them right there. Come follow me. I'm going to teach you everything I know. I'm going to give you everything I have. And it was received with much gravity and responsibility. And that's why they would drop their nets. And go, because this was a big deal. Jesus approached one guy one time and asked him to do the same thing. And uh, he said, okay, give me a second. Let me go back and say bye to some people and wrap some things up. And then I'll, I'll, I'll be available. And I'll come back. And it might take me a couple days. And Jesus said, no, that's not going to cut it. He said, you're not fit. You're not ready. So this is a, an invitation, but there's, it's an it's a invitation with a step to it, like a little bit of a standard to it. You see gravity in it. Not to be taken lightly. But this is where this missional lifestyle starts. It starts with Jesus calling us to follow him. The second thing is stay and be. First is come and see. The second is stay and be. And this is where commitment begins to come into play. This is where the follow through of that decision is at. All right? It's almost like a baseball swing. You know, you're you're, you're ready. You load up, and then you begin. Well, what happens if you don't follow through? You ain't going to make no contact. You might. The bat might fall on the ground. The ball just dribbles. You know what I'm saying? There's no follow through to it. This is where we see the stay and be. There's a level of commitment that comes into play here. And this is where Jesus starts raising the bar. This is where the lifestyle begins to get messed with. And this is what I was talking about earlier. This is really, we're OK with the first thing. It's an invitation. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I'm, I choose Jesus. But this is where it really starts affecting our lives and messing with who we are. But it's important. John 15, 5 through 8, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified. Listen, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is not the type of wordage that we like to use. Proving that you're a disciple of Christ. Don't judge me. I know who I am. Jesus knows my heart. These are traps, and this is where people begin to fall off at moments like this right here where, oh, I actually have to prove that I'm a disciple. I actually have to look at the word of God, say, this is what the Bible says to do and be, and if I don't measure up to that standard and I'm not moving towards that, then I might not be a disciple at all. Yes, that's, that's, what, that's what reading the Bible does for you is it messes with you and the Holy Spirit convicts you and messes with it. And you say, you know what? This doesn't add up to my lifestyle. Jesus said, don't do this, and I'm doing it. So that makes it wrong, and that makes it something that should be looked at as wrong, and I should make a change, right? I'm, I'm breaking it down as, as simple as possible. Because somehow, some way, in the way that we live, in the way that we think, we are such we're great justifiers of our own intentions, And behavior we're so good at it that we can justify ourselves right out of conviction happens all the time this is a trap that i have to always go around and pray through and measure in my own life all the time because nowadays people are so good at posting things and articles that just water down the bible to a place of well everybody's saved Everybody is going, there is no hell. There's no sort of payment for sin. Whatever the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. But forget about all that because we want everybody to have peace and love, whatever that means nowadays, right? Love is just a word that's thrown around all over the place. And don't judge me about who I love because it's my decision. Okay, but in the church, remember that judge not? I love you too much to just let you live however you want to live. And just slap a high five. You're dying, but I'm going to slap you a high five because I think I love you. But, so if I love you, do I tell you that you're doing wrong or do I just let you die? Y'all, y'all see where we're at, man. We're in this, this I mean, it's crazy. Stay and be. Be committed. There's a few things that have to do with fruit that I want to bring up quickly. Because if we have to bear a lot of fruit, what what does that fruit look like? One, the Bible talks about being salt and light, about affecting the environment that we go into, being light in a dark place, sharing Jesus. Go and tell people, sharing Jesus. Let me ask you a simple question that all of you can answer about yourself. When is the last time that you shared to someone about the message of Jesus, the gospel message of Jesus, whether you biblically talked about it or whether you shared your testimony, your story of being saved with somebody. When is the last time you did that? Let's just think about it because it might be a long time ago for some of us. What, What is that? Why would that be? Been years since I've just told somebody, "Yeah, I go to church. I I love Jesus." Let me tell you about what I went back five years ago. I got saved, and look what it did in my life. I was right where you were at, but listen, listen what happened to me. When's the last time that you've had those moments? There's two other huge signs of this stay and be, and I've alluded to it, but it's this thing of conviction and repentance. Conviction is. The Holy Spirit identifying something in your life, or maybe somebody that's a, a brother or sister in Christ coming to you and identifying something in your life, and you being convicted about it, yeah, that is wrong, and then repenting, which is turning from that and actually stopping doing it, okay? Conviction and repentance. Repentance. Whenever you're convicted and you don't respond, eventually the conviction stops. We call it a seared conscience. And so for some people, we can get into this other trap of saying, well, I'm not convicted about that. And I have a question. Were you ever convicted about it? Because if you were convicted about it at some point and the Holy Spirit said, this is wrong, this is a bad lifestyle to live, this is contrary to everything that you're supposed to be doing, or whatever the case is, and you rejected that, And every time that voice got quieter and quieter, eventually that conscience is seared. And now repentance doesn't feel like it. You don't feel like you need to repent. Self-deception, it's a trap. It's a pit. We just read that scripture a while ago about being stuck in a pit. Whenever you're stuck in a pit, it's hard to move around. And people try to help or the Holy Spirit comes to help. Get off. Leave me alone. I'm, I'm stuck. Leave me. You know? It sounds crazy, but it's what we can get caught into doing the Bible says another thing Romans 12 2 says do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind the Bible tells us not to fit in naturally I want to fit in who else is with me on that you want to fit into your surroundings because when you don't fit in people recognize that everybody's doing ABC and then I'm like over here doing W you know it's like hey guys I'm I'm over here sorry You know, eh. but everybody's doing ABC. They're saying ABC. They're doing ABC. And And it just sounds like that's what's supposed to be going on because I hear it so much. Say a lie enough, it becomes a what? Say a lie enough, it becomes a truth. But there's this defining moment with Jesus whenever he says this phrase that is weird. He says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And right here at this moment in scripture, a lot of people didn't get it and at this moment a lot of people walked away and he jesus kind of looks at his disciples he's like are y'all gonna are y'all gonna roll out too is this the moment that y'all leave me as well he's just raising that bar and and applying some pressure applying some holiness applying some of these things and some of the people they just weren't getting they're like okay i can go with you so far and I, i'm not going that far but the few that stayed were called his disciples The few that made it through that progression then entered into this place known as disciples of Christ, followers of Jesus, through the thick and the thin, through the things they understood and agreed with to the things that they didn't understand and they didn't agree with, all of that, they were followers of Christ. Their faith was in Jesus. These guys didn't understand everything Jesus was saying. They didn't really fully get it, but they kept walking. So you got these two things, come and see, stay and be. And the third thing has the most commitment to it, and it is go and die. And this is extreme commitment. This is next level. This is anti-cultural, by the way. Nowadays, non-committal is how everybody is, and there's a few people who are really committed, and the non-committals look at the committed person and are like, why are you so committed? Back in the day, I just, I kind of go down the route of church real quick, and I'm not wanting to stay here, but just, I'm just going to take church attendance. Church attendance back in the day, a faithful church attender was like, you know, six times a month or something, four to six times a month. Now a faithful church member is one to two times a month coming to a church building or a church organization. That bar is just, that's just one of them. I mean, we could go on and on, but we're not. The standard's shifting. The standard's changing because culture's changing. I don't have to be as committed. People quit jobs like that, right? I'll just go get another one. Two-week notice, huh? How about two minutes? I'm out. You know, that's just our, our just non-committal culture. But Jesus says something a little bit different. Mark eight thirty-four and 35. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, come and see, Let him deny himself, deny what you want to do, deny your flesh, deny the things that you want to fulfill your life with, deny those things, and take up his cross. Go and die and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. It's an oxymoron, right? The kingdom's economy, it just operates differently. You get this, if I give something, then I'm actually blessed and, and, and good. But if, if I keep it and hold on to it, I'm going to lose it. It doesn't make any sense because the kingdom of God operates differently than the world. So we've got to change our thinking. So he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and let him take up his cross and then follow me. It's a progression. Come to me. See what this thing's about stay and be stay committed conviction repentance and then take up your cross and follow me and the cross nowadays represents it's a sign of of redemption and hope we we, we hold the cross around our our neck and it's we pray and and it's like you know god's with me because of this you know thing and it's, it's a sign of refuge and safety but at this time that's not what it represented it would be like saying take up your electric chair okay It was a sign of death and suffering. And so when Jesus said this, there wasn't a religious crowd around him that that really understood, take up your cross. It didn't have a cool sound to it, all right? We sing songs about the cross, and, man, we just, thank you, Jesus. Yes, back in the day, there wasn't that. It was, take up my cross. I don't want to take up a cross any more than I want to take up an electric chair. It meant something different. He's talking about going and dying. Talk talking about denying yourself, giving up everything. Romans 12 talks about giving your life as a living sacrifice. I'm giving you everything I got, God, leaving it right here, a living sacrifice. I want to wrap up by sharing a story out of the Bible about this very thing, go and die. There was a rich young ruler in the Bible, and he comes up to Jesus, and he's asking Jesus, how can I get eternal life? What's this thing about? and jesus rattles off these things these standards that he should be uh, adhering to and this young guy says i'm doing all that i'm doing all every single thing you just said i'm doing that i'm an expert at it i think about a lot of church kids you know i'm an expert at it i grew up at church it's like i'm doing all i'm doing right i'm doing good you know what i'm saying I'm going to Sunday school, and I'm just I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And uh, that's what this guy's at. He's attaining all the standards that he knows he's supposed to attain. But Jesus looks at him and, and reveals something deep in this guy's heart that I don't think that this young guy even knew about himself. It says this in Mark 10, 21 through 22. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I do like that part because he loved him meant he loved him enough to tell him, first of all, but also that he had a heart of compassion for him. So the way that Jesus says this is not in a pointing his finger at him and and trying to embarrass him. It's one of love and compassion. And he says this, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. See, this guy was really good at coming and seeing, all right? Come and see. He had walked through that. He had stayed and been. He was doing what he was supposed to do, he was in the process. But he had guarded this one thing deep in his heart, and it was all the things he had, it was all the things he attained, it was his reputation. And and Jesus says, you're going to have to get rid of that, too, in order to come and do what you're saying you want to do. You need to leave all that and come and follow me. You need to sell it. And at that moment, this young guy, he just couldn't do it. He had worked too hard to just let it go. And he, he goes away disheartened. I just have this sneaking suspicion. It's not based on any sort of, you know, biblical research. But I just have a feeling that if this young guy would have said, sounds good, absolutely, because I don't want that to be in the way. You, you tell somebody, go sell my stuff. Let's do this thing. I'm, I'm coming to follow you, Jesus. If, that would have, if he would have done that, I just have a feeling that Jesus at that moment might have said, it's good. Don't worry about it. Come on, let's go do this thing. There would have been, it, it was just testing was testing him and he failed the test we always say it faith isn't faith until it's tested trust isn't trust until it's tested you can say that about pretty much everything in your life your marriage isn't isn't you know maybe where you think it is until it's tested when you walk through things together all of a sudden you see what you're really made of and I don't know about you but I want to continue to pass these tests when Jesus comes to me and said hey Jordan you're doing really good in a lot of areas but there's a soft spot right here I want that too. I want to have the heart and the passion for Christ to really stop and say, yes, God, you can have it. Not just verbally, but here and here, and like really submit that to God. Because what we see here is that if we don't have the ability, we don't have the the heart to do that, we might not be fit to do this thing called Christianity. And we're definitely not going and dying. We're definitely not going and giving all that we have and laying it at the foot of God and saying, take it. We're reserving some for ourselves. You see, you have to start with come and see. Everybody, many of you in this room have gone through that veil. You've gone through that that decision, that doorway of choosing Christ, come and be. Many of you are in the process of of staying and being. And God's working things in your life. I mean, some of you, you might have been saved for about a year. And it's like, man, this has been intense. It's been awesome, but it's been intense. There's always something. I'm reading the Bible and it's just messing with me all the time. Keep staying. Keep being. Stay in the process of God. But if we're not careful, we can. it's very easy to stop at stay and be. I'm showing up to church. I'm on a few different teams. I'm helping some people. I'm in a small group, da da, da, da. But yet we have that reservation. We have that, that area of our life that nobody can mess with. It might be time. It might be money. It might be relationships very guarded in my relationships I don't want to give on myself because it just takes too much I don't share Jesus I, I, I'm not going I'm not saying I'm not speaking I'm, I'm not evangelizing however you want to put it my life doesn't really look much different than anybody else's we've got to walk through all these segments all these conversations and we have to ask ourselves some tough questions number one have I had my come and see Jesus moment have i had that moment where jesus like remember the teacher comes and says come and follow me and you know if you've had that moment if you've had when jesus has come to you and it's like internally offered you salvation it might have been in a church service it might have been watching something on tv at some point i know for my dad it was a, a person at work that just said i got the love of jesus in my heart you know a simple statement like that, that was like, okay, that was a C. That was something that began a process in his life. It doesn't have to be this huge uh, uh, conversation or this monologue where you lay out the, you know, inerrancy of the scripture before people. You know, it's, it's simple. But have I had that, that moment, have I had that opportunity to come and see Am I staying and being? Am I committed? Am I truly committed? Am I, am I committed to the, to the process of conviction and repentance? Am I, am I committed to that? Whenever I get convicted, either by a, a sermon or by something I read in the Bible or whatever, or just the Holy Spirit just prompts me, do I, re- do I have a lifestyle that responds to that? Or do I push it under the rug and just keep doing my thing? Am I staying and am I, am I being? And then am I willing to go and die, to take up your cross? And deny yourself and live a life that's missional before christ let's bow our heads first of all i want to give an opportunity for every person in this room who has not made the decision to follow jesus that initial call where jesus reaches out his hands and says hey come follow me come and see He's offering all that he has to you. He's offering his life. He's offering his victory. He's offering everything that he is, his redemption. And he says, Come and see, come and follow me. And some of you in this room haven't actually responded to that and said, Yes, Lord, I will follow you. And I want to give you that opportunity right now. We don't, we're not going to bring anybody up to the front, embarrass anyone. Everybody's got their their heads bowed. But if you know that you are separate from God, you know that you haven't really received Jesus into your heart. It's not affecting you in any way, shape, or form. And you know that you need Jesus today. I just want you to simply raise your hand. Is there anybody in this room over here? Another one right here. Another one over here. Another one right here. Jesus is saying come and be, come and see. Another one over here. You need Jesus. He's inviting you. I believe that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, I believe that he was picturing faces and generations in his mind that he knew what he was doing was going to set people up for a moment like this, do the 99.9% of the work to bring you a simple gift of salvation. Is there anybody else who wants to receive it today? Right here. What we're going to do is we're going to pray. And what's about to happen is you're about to go from one side of the cross Where it's death and destruction and it's a violent thing and as we pray you're going to cross over and see the cross as a place of hope and redemption and purity that's what jesus does that's what his his blood the payment of his blood does is it it wipes us clean of sin and shame and it clothes us it's like putting on a jacket of righteousness because by ourselves we're naked we're exposed but with the, the, the cloak of righteousness on us. We're a child of God. Just agree with this prayer. Lord, I come before you right now. God, I'm offering all that I am to you. I'm giving you my successes and my failures. I'm just throwing it at your feet, Lord. I'm asking you to redeem me. I'm asking you to heal me. God, I pray that you would remove the stain of sin from my heart. God, redeem my life, that I can live a life of value, God, of eternal value for the kingdom of God, not for the kingdom of this world. Renovate my heart. Change my life. I receive you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, yeah, let's give it up for those who made that decision today.
1: If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv slash connect and fill out the online information card, our lead pastor... Van Ducote wants to send you a letter that tells you some more steps to take that'll help you maintain your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you live in one of these areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and locations. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv slash give or simply text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.